Welcome to episode 12 of Down and Nerdy, where when we bust a cap, it's because we're sculpting a statue of Steve Rogers. Or we're unearthing him from tons of ice. From the ice, yes. I'm James with him alongside. Nick Pataglia, the one arm wonder. And it's been a great week for us once again. Thank you so much for... You know, we kind of started anew with episode 11, and we're on YouTube now, so we're expanding. It's like the down and nerdy nation is expanding our borders kind of thing. It's really cool. Like, you know, we got a lot of uh, good feedback about our videos and stuff like that, you know, with your reviews of the Arrow finales and the Angels of S.H.I.E.L.D. finales, and, you know, my my frustration video, and I also want to... Hopefully this week I'll be able to put up a. Um, so I want to do. I want to switch them up every week. Not do like a frustrations one every week. But I want to switch them up like this week um, because tomorrow is gonna be a new comic book day. I'm going to do um, Nick's new comics. Oh yeah. So I mean, there's gonna be a lot. And plus, this is the week where, unlike last week, where in my poll there wasn't. I only had like three comics in my poll last week, which is Deadpool, uh, Nightcrawler, and uh, uh, Batman Turtle. Unlike this week. Where it is like a lot of comics. Oh, yeah. I mean, coming out, it's going to be more to choose from. It's gonna, I think people are going to enjoy it a lot more. But again, thank you. Like, we're almost 130 followers, which is fantastic. Like, like getting a lot of feedback. And, you know, it's just it's amazing to see where this show has just gone in short months. The emails are starting to pour in, too. And we'll get into that when we start getting into our main topic. Of, we're going to be talking about fan films this week. It's going to be the Down and Nerdy yeah. Fan Film Festival. And it's 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 going to be great because they're a good part of it. As, well, as somebody who, you know, who's made films and written films and directed films as I have, you know, and gone to film school, this is a topic I'm really going to enjoy. It's something that really, you know, I can passion about and be like, hey, I got a good story about this time this director or walked off set because this happened or whatever. But no, it'd be interesting. You know, that's all I did last night was literally last night. I watched a uh, a couple a bunch of fan films, different heroes, mostly superhero oriented. But at the end of the day, I mean, yeah, this is you know a great great topic we're gonna be discussing and how it impacts not just Kickstarter and just getting mm-hmm. your movie out there, but even hey, maybe a big studio is paying attention. That's right. You know, it's, it might be a rarity, but they can say, hey, here's this idea we can do. You know, and it gives fans an idea of of putting their own stamp on, on something they always wanted to do. Right. And, you know, last week we had Cody really went off on Channing Tatum as oh Gambit. God. This is not going to be something that we do on a regular basis, but every now and then when something happens and the lid gets blown off, we kind of decide right here in the introduction that we're going to go on a little rant. Now, you know, Godzilla came out this past weekend, and Nick, you actually went to see Godzilla and saved me about 20 bucks. <laughs> I did. Um, no, I wanted to go see Godzilla Friday night or Saturday night. I think it was, fri- I think it was Friday. Friday night. I wanted I to see it opening Friday. night. Now, I wanted to see this. Now, people who know me, you know, I, I hate 3D movies with a fiery passion because the technology is misused. And I wear glasses. And having to wear glasses over yeah, glasses. Yeah, it doesn't make it any easier. It's an uncomfortable thing. You know, even though I have a huge nose... It still doesn't make up for the fact that the glasses are like almost down to the bottom part of my nose because my other glasses are pushing forward. You'd think they'd have the 3D flip-downs at this point. That you know? would be Remember awesome. That? You remember the flip-downs you I do. for your glasses? Yeah. You, you would think, right? But no, I, I, so I saw Godzilla. Now, before I get on the movie itself, I just want to take some time to say this to, to people. Now, when I posted on my Twitter, at NickTaylor25, about how Godzilla was disappointing, not how I hated it and how it sucked... Mm-hmm. I did not say that. I said Godzilla is probably the most disappointing film I've seen this year. 
And I got tweets, people calling me horrific names. You got Twitter bombed, man. I got Twitter bombed. You really did. But I blocked a lot of people. Because I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm at that point where I'm like, I'm not going to get into an argument because Twitter is just, you know, these cyber, these cyber tough guys who probably live in their mom's basement and have nothing better to do but Every, touch themselves and play WoW. Everybody's got an opinion, man. And some are way more passionate about it than others. Well, not passionate, douchebaggy, I guess is the Yeah, so, so I want to say something. There's a difference between saying a movie is disappointing and saying that a movie sucks. Saying a movie is disappointing is more like I expected more out of it. I didn't completely hate it. It did have some redeeming qualities, but overall, it could have been a much better movie as I expected. Where if you said, this movie sucks, screw this movie, you know, that's a lot to say, you know, this movie sucks and I'm not going to watch it again. Right, exactly. Spider-Man 2 was disappointing. We didn't hate it. The Amazing Spider-Man 2, not Spider-Man 2. Amazing Spider-Man 2, right. That was disappointing because we wanted more out of it. We didn't say, we, we never said we hated it either. Yeah. We just said, you know, could have been so much more than it was and that's all you said and they nailed you for it. So anyways, and then another point people are going to bring up is that it made $92.3 million in this opening weekend. But well, it's a great movie because it made, listen, no. No, it's opening no. weekend. Spider-Man made a good amount of money opening yes, weekend. Where it is it now? It's number four, I think. Is it on the list? I on think box it is. office? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, I, and also, I can see why Neighbors was number one last week because it was a hilarious film. I actually saw that Sunday. It was great. Um, but, no, that's the thing. is You can't judge a movie solely based on the amount of money it made. You can judge whether it should make another one based on the money it made. Which the sequel is already is in works. already in works, yeah. which I'm afraid of, pretty much, because... It, just because... I'll get to more of that in a little well, bit. We'll find out why in a second. <laughs> but this was directed by Gareth Edwards, who did Monsters Now. James, as I told you before we started fil- or filming, before we started recording, I said... When you watch Monsters, the plot of the story is pretty much about this journalist who has to save this girl, and the whole story is about them mm. trying to get home safe in the midst of all this destruction right. and everything else. All Godzilla was, all Edwards did, was take the plot of Monsters, put Godzilla in it, and change up what the characters do in real life. For example, instead of a journalist, you have a soldier, played by Aaron Taylor Johnson, yeah. and so on and so forth. And people are like, oh, well, Brian Cranston, he's in the movie, right? Wrong. This is gonna now. I'm gonna say this right now. This is going to be a very spoiler-heavy talk, as all of our reviews usually are. So don't be surprised when we throw them out there. Brian Cranston is in the movie for literally the first 20 minutes, and he's killed off. Which is funny because he's in what 90 percent of all the trailers yeah. for this movie. And that's another <laughs> thing is that I understand there's a saying that trailers lie. But the trailer, this is the problem I had with Iron Man 3. It presents a totally different movie than what you're oh, getting. Oh, no question about it, yeah. Because you think that this whole thing is going to be, you know, Cranston, you know, trying to figure out what's going on with Godzilla and everything like that. I mean, it'll be interesting. But they don't. Now, it'll be more better with the story if they... Because Ken Watanabe is in this. He plays, you know, one of the head scientists. And it would have been a much better film had they not written Aaron Taylor Johnson's character in it. And at all, or Elizabeth Olsen's character at all, and said, you know, we're going to stick with Cranston and Watanabe as the main two characters. Mm-hmm. Because the film in the beginning establishes that they work together. I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting that they should have done this more like the way they did Jurassic Park. Yeah. 
That's what just hit me is that they had you said the two central figures yep. of the scientists and of course the kids to kind of bring that element in as well. But they had two central figures that they focused on in those movies. Yeah, you know you, you, that's the thing is that they should have done, they should have done it that way because it would have been made for a much more interesting thing, especially because in the beginning of the film, Cranston's uh, uh, wife, who's played by Julianne Binoche, which was amazing dies because of the Muto attacks huh. the plant and it pretty much causes this nuclear gas to pretty much So I guess putting her in that killer. shipping container didn't really work out for her, huh? No, it really didn't. But that's the thing. I mean, now, this movie was leaps and bounds above Emmerich's 1998 version, which isn't tough that's to do. That's not saying much. But I think that, you know, what they did get right was the final fight scene between the Mutos and Godzilla was amazing. The fight, the final fight scene when they did get to it was great. I figured great. it would be. So no, when they do get to the fight scene, it's great because you see Godzilla use his, you know, his atomic breath kind of in, yeah, in, to yeah. kill Muto, and it's, it's great. You know, they the monsters look amazing. They don't look, you know, overly CG. They look awesome. So and it's scary. more organic then. It's more organic. You know, it, it was it was fantastic. It was, and also one thing I like about this. And listen up, Spider-Man uh, people over at Sony. It's not an origin story. It's set up in the beginning credits that Godzilla is known to exist. That's good. That's a good Because point. the opening credits is a bunch of ne- you know redacted words next to the actresses' names. And you're seeing got like little pictures and little old film footage of like Godzilla going through water and ships following it during like the 1950s and stuff like that. I want the folks at DC Comics to listen up to that as well, by the way, when you're starting to make Justice League movie. Now, with that comes some big cons. Now, the characters, as I mentioned, Aaron Taylor Johnson, Elizabeth Olsen, very uninteresting characters, and I think that the main problem is people say, well, I like the human element. It's like, yeah, I watch porn for the acting. It's, it's you know, what it makes sense is... is there's way too much human element in here, and I'm sorry, but I think it's very cheap way a very cheap way for studios to get audience to pull their heartstrings, make them root for characters by putting somebody in an armed forces uniform. Right, exactly. I mean, and we love what soldiers do for our country, oh, and we thank them for their service. But we don't need that to care about a character. What you're telling me when you do that is you couldn't think of anything else. To make this character interesting and make me want to root for this character, so you did that, right? And I think you know, especially because he's a soldier, just come back from war, and now he has to go to Japan because Cranston gets arrested for trespassing, and you know, it's like, and now he's just trying to find his way home. And again, and it uses the main pro- one of the main problems in the movie is that it uses way too many old school action movie tropes, where like or like horror movie tropes, where it's like, okay, this is about a guy, more about a guy trying to get home instead of Godzilla. So it's like, okay, he's trying to get home. He's on the subway. What's going to happen? Mm-hmm. Something's going to happen. We see it in the trailer. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's going to get on a plane or something. Something happens. Mm-hmm. You know, God forbid. It's just Murphy's Law mm-hmm. pretty much happens to, this per- to Taylor Johnson's character. And Elizabeth Olsen, like I said, she was uninteresting. It was just, what is she there for? You know, it's... And like I said, they spent way too much time on the human element. It's like... You know, when you name a movie Godzilla, and I understand that in the old Toho movies, Godzilla was meant to be more as a form of a cavalry. You know, he'll show up 40 minutes in. Now, he doesn't show up in the movie until like an hour into the movie. 
And when you do see him, you're like, okay, they're going to fight. And it's going to be like a three-round fight. Right. Because these monsters fight, and I'm putting this in air quotes, three times. You can only do one side of the air quote, though. I can. That's 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 very true. I can only do one air quote, so it's like an open ending. You can't close the quotes. So I can't close the, the quotes. The rest of this episode will be in all quotes. Yes. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, that was great. Um, so the first time we're fighting in an in, 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 in airport, and the, the one Muto and Godzilla, and they're fighting... And then what happens to it? They cut to the human, to a human scene, where it's like in Vegas, and you see oh. it on a little TV monitor. <laughs> now, that first time, while it did ah. irk me a little bit, it didn't bother me as much as it did when it did another time. Because I'm like, okay, the fight was only like a minute long, uh, because the Muto flies away, and Godzilla appears, runs, jumps back in the water, yeah. and chases it. But... When you do it a second time, now remember in the was it the second trailer when it ends with him with the doors closing? Yeah, and yeah. That's when they face off for the second time, but they don't show it. They what what happens is they show him roaring and stuff, uh, and then they cut to another human scene. Oh come on! They man. don't show him fight Jeez. Muto, and it's like that's when I was sitting in my chair. I'm like, dude. And I turned to the guy next to me who I was talking to online. He's a really cool dude, and, and he, he looked at me. I looked at him, and we're like, dude, just. Screw this movie, man! Like, you know, like, like, really, you're gonna do that? It's literally like a lap dance. It's like, it was, that's what it was. It was like a two-hour lap dance. It's, it would much. be like if when Cap and Winter Soldier were facing off, if they kept cutting the scenes and Robert Redford yeah. and Cap too. I mean, it's why would you do that? This is why we're here. Yeah, and people are like, oh well, you know. And then one of the biggest arguments too is people are like, well, if it was more about the monsters fighting and not the humans, people would be like, well, it's like Alien versus Predator, where the humans like you don't care about them. It's like I don't care about the humans either way. No, it's like going to see Pacific Rim because you care about Charlie Hunnam's character. Yeah, you don't care. I would probably care more about the humans if they took you know the route that I wanted to go, where like, hey, have Kranz and Watanabe team up and like, hey, we used to work together. Let's work on you know. Stopping Godzilla. I'll tell you what, Cranston's the genius of this whole cast because he saw the script and he was like, you know what, this isn't gonna be, this isn't gonna go over well. You're gonna need to kill me in about 20 minutes of this movie. Yeah, I mean, going back to the whole Godzilla being in it, this movie was 123 minutes long and he appeared in less than half of the movie. Uh, you know, it's like, it, it, it's like the torture build the fight. That's not why I'm there to see it, and that's why I didn't see it because I knew that was gonna happen. And the writing isn't the greatest writing because there's a scene, like I said earlier, it's known that Godzilla exists. So Ken Watanabe has this line where it's like, well, what is this thing? And he's talking about the history of Godzilla. Like, hey, back in the 1950s, this bomb went off and yada, yada, yada. And he goes, well, they go, well what is he? And, he? and this is very CSI Miami. He goes, they call it. And he looks, I swear to God, looks at the back of the camera and goes, Godzilla. And at that point, I was, ridiculous. I was waiting for the Who to start playing. And... You know, again, with the writing, there's a lot of stupid human plans. For example, the military wants to use an atomic bomb to destroy the monsters. But yet they know, the military knows, that the monsters eat and live off of radioactivity. Smart plan. So it's a very smart plan. And they also don't say how they plan on throwing it at them either. They just say, we're going to have this missile. But they don't say, hey, we're not going to, we're not going to, we don't know how we can really set it off. You know, so pretty much, unless it's a, unless it's oh. mass genocide or mass murder, because pretty much the way that they set up the atomic bomb was, hey, we can't use EMPs because the monsters 
feed off the MPs and electricity and stuff like that. So we need to use actual keys to turn and set the bomb off and time let's, it. Let's go So they pretty school. much set it in the middle of the city, pretty much. Or the monster take, grabs it. Pretty monster, one Muto grabs it off of the train. And it's like, okay, so you still don't have a way of launching it. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it's like, and it's just sitting in the city. It's like, what, what what's going on What here? are you thinking? You know, it, it's, I mean, I, I collateral damage. I get that, but that seems like a lot of collateral damage. It's that's collateral lives. Is what I it mean, is. Th- you wouldn't see the the real military do something like that. I no, no. But I think again, it's like there's just no tension, and and it just like I said, this movie wasn't it wasn't a bad movie. And you know, you think, well, okay, they want to make a Godzilla too. Well, here's the problem though, Toho, and I was talking to um, Bob at, at Fancy Escape about right. this because he was asking me about it. I said, well, I go, he said, well, it looks like Rodan's in it, right? That's what I thought at first. And I'm like, no, Bob. I go, they're called Mutos. And I go, he's like, I never heard of those. I'm like, yeah, I go, because they created them. I go, they they don't have the rights to the other Toho monsters other than Godzilla. And he was just like, forget this. I'm not going to see this movie now. Yeah, that's part of the reason not to see it, because I'd forgotten about that completely. And I thought it was Rodan at first, too. And then you reminded me of that, and I went, well, then what's the point? Yeah. And I'm like, I showed Bob a picture of the the Mutos, and he was just like, "Oh, really? Yeah, like, yeah, really? Exactly. They're going with that?" Yeah. And yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And the re- you know, people point out like, "Oh, we're gonna make a sequel." It's like, well, like I said, Toho, when it comes out to when it comes to lending rights to monsters, they're very restrictive with that. Very, very. So I mean, the idea of them getting another new, you know, Mothra or something like that is not going to happen. So they're going to probably have to make new monsters, and it's just again, I mean, which is fine. But yeah. I mean, you, you, I know you kind of want to go there to see the classic monsters because that's the point, and that's the whole point of Godzilla. I mean, you can make new monsters, but I mean, it's like they're trying to win a friggin' Oscar here, and you're, it's a, it's Godzilla. You're not going to get. This massive critical acclaim for a monster. Well, I just said, but like the Mutos, literally, when I saw them. They look like Cloverfield A, Cloverfield B. It, you know what I'm saying? That's what they look like. You they, can't do that. that. That's what they look like. They look like the freaking Cloverfield monster, and it's it's, it's just like I said. Yeah, it made ninety two point three million, but again, don't go based. Don't go saying this movie's a good movie because it makes a lot of money. Makes a lot of money. For example, Gone with the Wind is was like I think it still is number one. For, when, you, when you adjust for inflation, inflation it's yeah. still number one movie, highest gross of all time. It's not a good movie at all. I'm not a fan. I know a lot of people are, but I mean, that's a good point. Just because something makes money doesn't mean it's a great movie. I mean, even the Green Lantern movie made a lot of money in its first opening weekend. Yeah. Even though, and it ended, what happened after that? Ended up well dive felt. bombing. Dive sky, yeah. Dive. You mentioned that in your in your Deadpool video on our on our YouTube page. Yeah. I mean, you, just because it makes a lot of money and opening, I guarantee you, X Men's going to make a huge amount of money this weekend. And here's the reason why: people, you know, Godzilla's going to be at number one in the box office again this week, most likely. And here's why: I was doing some research, and I was saying, like, okay, well, what's it going to be going against primarily? At least up until X Men comes out, nothing. There's nothing going yeah. up against this thing that's going to make. Anywhere near what it made this opening weekend, or even close to what's going to make this weekend, or even its third weekend out. Here's why: because every movie that's pretty much scheduled to come out from now up until X Men is either limited release or New York, LA only release. I'm sure that X Men will knock off Godzilla. 
just because it's the freaking X Men, yeah. it should even if you're not. It's sure gonna make about well over hundred million. Even if you're sitting there like Cody was last week, saying I'm not seeing this freaking movie, it's still gonna make more money than Godzilla. I think it'll be close, probably closer than it should be. Yeah. But X Men's gonna be number one this weekend. And just because it makes a, not a lot of money, though, doesn't mean X-Men's going to be a good movie either. I actually think it's going to be a good movie. Right. But just because it makes, let's say it makes $75 million opening weekend, that's probably generous. Uh, that does not mean it's going to be a great movie. So it's one of those things where you just have to wait and see. Well, that's my take on Godzilla. Again, you know, like I said, I didn't hate the movie. I just thought it could be a lot much, much more better than what it was. But now we're going to have something that has better writing, let's say. A lot better. It's, it's time to go into what we're reading. Now, I'll kick us off this week, okay. actually. I'll, we'll do a little bit of switching here, because I know you always kick off every week. I'll, I'll go this week. Let's do this. Now, I mentioned this comic earlier on, where I read the opening of the show, actually, this week. Nightcrawler. And Nightcrawler number two came out last week. Now, Nightcrawler is written by Chris Claremont, and the art is done by Todd Nauck. Now... Nightcrawler is my favorite X-Men by far. He's more, he's right up there for me, too, and always has been. Yeah, I, I mean, he's literally my favorite. You know, just from the look to him being able to teleport and just... It, 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 he's just a badass. He really world. is. The look alone, especially the art from the, the cover art that I saw when you showed me the issue, is really good. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's the thing. is like, in this cover art is, you know, it's, it's a black cover. And it has Nightcrawler. All you see is pretty much like his silhouette. Not silhouette, but like you see his eyes and his gloves mm. and his suit pretty much. And behind us is BAMF. <laughs> Big pink that letters. That says it all. And it's awesome. And, and uh, no, but the writing is hit and miss. The first issue I liked. Now, the previous issue one, Nightcrawler has returned from the dead. Uh, he's been, you know, come, he's come back from the afterlife. And he finds the X-Men are divided. And he reunites with them. And... The opening scene, and I mentioned this in a previous show, is him facing off against Wolverine in the danger room, and Wolverine snapping, pretty much, and his claws come out, and this is also sets up to uh, the Three Months to Live arc they're going to do with mm. the death of Wolverine. Uh, next month, I think they're going to start it. I think, it's, yeah, it is in June. And it's pretty much just like, hey, he can't be doing that because you're going to bleed out. Right, and. Right. And the entire time, Nightcrawler's like, oh, I can't let him bleed out. You know, he's got, I got to not try to piss him off and everything. And so he ends up reuniting with his first love, Amanda Sefton, who is also known as Magic. <laughs> and she can cast spells and is pretty much a sorceress, if you will. And they're attacked by Trimega, who looks kind of like this robotic, picture red skullish mixed with Ultron. Okay. Like he has like the Ultron-ish red skull face but he's a big mech kind of thing I can see that working and he's pretty much attacking them and while uh, Nightcrawler and Amanda reunite and pretty much Nightcrawler and Amanda which is pretty weird actually because they were part of the same adoptive family the same adoptive mother but yet their love interests which is pretty weird it's kind of creepy yeah. A little creepy. Yeah. Kind of like Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch in the earlier runs when Mm. it's like oh Luke and Leia-esque kind of thing, you know? But um, Where's Robin Thicke when you need him? There's oh, some blurred lines right there. Oh, dude, you and the puns, man. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's my specialty. You're killing me, Smalls. I mean, but no. So n- number two starts off in Nightcrawler pretty much recalling his time as a flashback as him as part of a traveling circus and his growing up with mm-hmm. Amanda um, and him becoming Nightcrawler. And he becomes Nightcrawler 
um, there's a part where he says, and this is pretty much good, good writing, because you wonder, like, how did he become, how did the Nightcrawler night term right, right. come to be? Well, Amanda was going on the trapeze pretty much for the first time, and she wanted to go jump to another, from one trapeze to another, and her, her hand slipped on the bar, and she was mm. falling. And Nightcrawler was like, I can do two things, let her die, or teleport. Right. And he teleported, caught her, and teleported back up to the platform, and people were stunned. And they applauded because they thought it was part of the act. Right. <laughs> Neat trick, kid. You know, and, it, and that's why I liked it. One thing I liked about the writing, in a sense, when I say it's very hit or miss, is it's not like we're in the Magneto run I'm reading currently where it's like mutants are evil. It's like, oh, awesome. He can teleport. That's yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. You know, um, but, you know, they, they go back to Winsledorf, which where, you know, he the circus was, and that's where their mother is. And their mother is, is Margali. She's a sorceress. And uh, pretty much, they they so they go back to to Winslow to see why they were attacking to make sure that the, their mother is safe and everybody they know they're safe. Now the art is very good; it's very very detailed. Like I said, now Nightcrawler when he comes back, he has these little like Nightcrawler minions mm-hmm. kind of thing. They look like it's not like like Nightcrawler, but like little cherubs mixed with Nightcrawler. I think I remember seeing them in the uh, the Amazing X Men number one when yeah. that came out when Nightcrawler was in that. I think I remember seeing them. They're called ones. the Bamps. Yep, and. Um, and so, I mean, you know, when, when his minions are teleporting, great detail within the teleportation beams mm-hmm. because or, or burst because you can see like their heads because you can see, like inside the beams as well, which is pretty detailed. Interesting, yeah. it's really really detailed. Um, like I said, the writing's hit or miss, but you know, my thing is is overall final thought. I'm gonna get, I have a three comic book rule when it comes to this. That's fair. I because things like people like. Like, there's been certain comics where I was like, okay, one issue, I'm done. Because I'm not going to... Well, if it's that know, bad. If it's that bad. But, like, for example, like Daredevil. I gave Daredevil three issues because, I'm like, yeah, the art's horrible. You're a but saint. Let's, let's hope that it, it turns out right. And, mm-hmm. yeah, it didn't turn out so good. Nightcrawl, I'm like, okay, I'm giving one more issue because, you know, I want this. Because now that, you know, it ends with... Uh, 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 Trimega pretty much catching them, pretty much like saying, "Hey, I'm here," and I, you know he, he he followed them pretty much. It's like, okay, now where are they gonna go with this? Now that the mother is there, so like I said, and it's tough because Nightcrawler's my favorite X Men, so it's yeah, like, so you want to see it. Through. I want to see it through, but it's like if it's gonna be not very slow. That's the thing too is the pacing is very very slow. I that's think. frustrating. Um, so I'm like, okay, I'll give us one more issue, and if it doesn't, you know come into fruition in issue number three then I'm going to save my three four bucks or my few bucks and put take that off my poll list and put three months to live on my poll list yeah I mean if you if it's not working for you and it, you want it to so bad and it's just not working and we've all been there with our polls there's certain issues certain characters you love them and you just want it to work out and it doesn't but I gotta tell you one thing that definitely worked out for me was what I was reading and that's Superman doomed. Oh, dude, I'm gonna say this right now. When I saw the var- one of the variant covers for it, I'm like, oh, please tell me this is not what the art looks like because it brings it back to Daredevil. And it really wasn't at all. It was it, the art was very good. The story was by Scott Lobdell, Greg Pak, and Charles Soule. And let me tell you right now, Greg Pak knows how to write Superman. Right. He really, really does. And the art on the inside of the issue, because I thought I looked at the cover and I went, okay, eh. But when you open up the the book and you see Ken Lashley's art, I got to tell you, very detailed, 
Very visually striking, especially on the action scenes. Sonny Go did a very good job on the co- on the colors as well because there's a lot going on in this issue. And basically, Doomsday's back. And, of course, you get that. Superman Doom. Yeah. But here's the deal. And they talk about this later on in the issue after Doomsday comes back and basically kind of vaporizes an entire island of people. <laughs> because they say, well, yeah, it's Doomsday, but it's a more mature Doomsday. He's more powerful. He doesn't need to actually combat people anymore. He's actually, whatever comes within 100 yards of him, basically, right. just bursts into flames wow. or vaporizes. It's it's unbelievable. They talk about how he basically vaporized an entire island of people before Superman could even get there. And they actually say in the, in the issue that Superman is the only living being that could actually last 10 minutes in close battle with this Doomsday. Wow. Never mind actually destroy Doomsday. No, because that'd be part of it because he goes to the sun and pretty much re- gets his powers like to recharge in a sense. Is that yeah. the reason why he can kind of withstand that time with Exactly, him? and especially if it's in direct sunlight. And they're basically talking about how this Doomsday now is feeding off life. Every life that he takes, he gets stronger and stronger and stronger. I mean, it wasn't just people. It was animals everything absolutely everything so wonder woman's also in this in this issue and she basically and actually steel tries to fight doomsday at one point oh my god doesn't work he out melts, very well he? At he, all. Just, he just melts well he tries to hit him with the hammer and the hammer just gets destroyed and steel gets thrown backwards so then wonder woman comes in and says hey i'm going to help you because doomsday and i have some unfinished business and Superman gets there on time. He's like, no, 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 this isn't happening kind of thing. And she basically says, you know you have to kill him, right? Yeah. And we know Superman doesn't kill. But Superman gets to the point where he's like, I, I do have to kill Doomsday. Yeah. So he's really struggling with this. And we talked about the human element with Godzilla. And they really brought a nice human element into this, which I wasn't expecting, where it's Clark Kent on the uh, on the roof of the Daily Planet mm-hmm. with the chief editor, and they're talking about, you know, he kind of makes the, of course he doesn't know he's Superman, so he says, you know, I've got this story, and I didn't, it's from an old, it's an old story, I didn't want to have to bring it back up again, and people can get hurt, kind of thing. So he says, you know, sometimes to do the right thing, you have to do the wrong thing. Right. That's basically the gist of it without going into the whole thing. So then he goes to the Justice League, and he tries <laughs> to figure it out there, and they really can't figure it out either. And then Lex Luthor shows up and says, you wow. need to leave. And they're like, what the hell are you talking about? I need to leave. And basically it was, if you don't leave, he's going to destroy everything on this planet. He's here for you. Who's got more energy than anybody? It's you, Superman. You've got to leave. So basically, Doomsday is teleporting somehow. So he keeps popping up at random spots. So Superman's flying around the Earth trying to find him. So what he finally does, he knocks him into the sky, and they do leave the planet. And then there's the epic battle. You nice. think this is it, right? This is the final battle. So I think they were on Venus or something. So they're just beating each other down, and it's you know, so you can see Superman being burned in the art right. while he's battling Doomsday. So the detail was fantastic. Again, Ken Lashley did a fantastic job. Then he thinks it's over, though. So he goes back to Smallville, where it was kind of like Smallville was kind of like Ground Zero at one point. And Lois Lane is there, and there's something weird going on about Lois Lane. Her eyes are glowing. This is clearly not Lois Lane, and she's communicating with somebody. 
So we're trying to figure out what's going on there, and they don't, they don't actually really tell you who it was. So he goes back to Smallville to kind of help out with the recovery effort. I got an idea. Could be Brainiac. Could be. That that was my thought, too, that it could be because Brainiac. Because when you say, okay, telepathic, I'm like, well, I mean, maybe Doomsday's telepathically, you know, because the red eyes. like, no, it could be Brainiac. And and what I was thinking was somebody's teleporting Doomsday. Yeah. He's, he's, being, he's being teleported somehow. So there's definitely a couple different options there. But the second you think it's over, and Superman's weak at this point, too. Keep that in mind. This right. battle's really taking a lot out of it. Well, I mean, Doomsday is the only guy who's ever really killed Superman. And they make reference to that, too. They're like, this guy could actually kill you, too. So you've got to be careful and not try to make the battle a short one. Now, now here's a genuine fear. Do you fear that this whole Superman doomed is just a reincarnation of Death of Superman? It really wasn't, and here's where it kind of took the turn, was when they were in Smallville, They, th- you think it's over, and then all of a sudden the teleportation window opens up, and Doomsday just basically goes right at Superman. Right. So now they're battling in Smallville, and he's like, I promise to protect these people. Because again, it's Superman, he made them a promise. At the end of the day, they make it so, they kind of tell you that at the end of the day, Superman saves everybody. He right. saves the people. So there's another battle, and then the thing, and this is the biggest spoiler of all, and I'm going to let it loose for you right here. Superman rips Doomsday in half. Whoa! It was a big moment. It's a goosebump kind of moment. But here's what happens, and this is where the whole story picks up. He rips him in half, and there's like this black cloud when he does it. So Superman breathes in. All this spore, all these spores, because otherwise this is an airborne thing. Yeah, you're talking, uh, you know, chemical airborne weapon on a mass scale because there's a lot of people that are in this Smallville recovery effort. Right. So he absorbs it, and that's kind of where the issue comes to an end. But what we find out is, is that he absorbs, and now he's infected with the oh, Doomsday boy. virus. So now, if they don't find a cure. Superman's going to turn in to, Vilms- to, to Doomsday. Doomsday. Wow. And there are a couple tie-ins that are after that. Action Comics and uh, Superman Wonder Woman are basically his progression. He's turning into Doomsday. He can feel himself getting angry. He can feel himself wanting to t- cause destruction, and he likes it kind of oh. thing. And it's So it's him- like he's pretty much it's like that red kryptonite. Yeah, much. and it's make- it's changing him slowly. Like you could, like Wonder Woman could tell he's out of character. Mm-hmm. He, as, uh, as Clark Kent, he's leaving her voicemails that are out of character. So, so it's like Superman meets the fly, pretty much. In a weird way. And the funny thing is, is that in, the, in one of the tie-ins, the Superman Wonder Woman, they go to his, Clark Kent's apartment. Right. Because Batman says, you know, we're, you, you need to find him because he analyzed his blood and said, this is a, no different from Doomsday's blood. Yeah. So, like, we need to find him. So they said, did you check his apartment? So Diana Prince goes to Clark Kent's apartment. He's sitting in there, and he's basically already starting to look like Doomsday. And he's very out of character. He's saying stuff that's very... Um, it's kind of hard to describe. When you read the issue, you'll you'll understand. Right. Um, and he says, you have to kill me before it's too late to Diana Prince, to wow. Wonder Woman. He says, you need to take this lasso and kill me while I still let you wow. kind of thing. Well, it turns out he can actually fight this with his mind. Bruce Wayne tells her, tells Diana, look, he can fight this with his mind. You just need to let him know that. So he kind of breaks out of the doomsday shell. Mm-hmm. 
but he says it's still there. I've broken it for now, but it's still there, and I can't hold it off much longer. And that's where the tie-ins kind of end. So it's going to be very interesting. It's a one-shot, so it's not like this is something that's going to be back. So once this run is over, it's over. How many issues they say they're going to do with um, this? Well, I know that they're doing a second issue of Superman Doom. There's another tie-in. Uh, Superman 31 is another tie-in, but I don't think it's going to go too much further past because Superman 32 is when the uh, John Romita Jr. Uh, art and, uh, and um, uh, Jeff Johns start to take over the Superman run. So I think they won't go past that. So Superman Doomed number two could be it. I actually have to look and, uh, and double-check that because usually when you do a, a one-shot, it's a four-issue like they're going to do with Death of Wolverine. But I think that this is something that they're going to wrap up pretty quickly. And with the tie-ins that they have, I think they'll be able to do that. Yeah, and I mean, again, I, I, that's something that seems like I just want to pick up this week. Or maybe not this, this week, but maybe when number two comes out, I'll go pick it up. Is it going to be a monthly, I take it? I think I think that they're going to wrap it up pretty quickly, actually. I think they're going to have this wrapped up sometime in June. Yeah. Or maybe even a little bit before then. I think it is June, though, if I remember If you correctly. look at June, because plus, if you look at June... It's like maybe when like that month a cavalcade of great comics are coming out. That definitely month. in August too. You're thinking you're gonna kind of a little bit of a lull in July, but August is gonna be the big month. The solicitations for Marvel and for DC are gonna be amazing. But speaking of August, we've also got some stuff coming up in Nerd News talking about Dark Horse comics in August. But first, a couple major trailers that came out. The last week, we'll talk about those coming up next on Down and Nerdy. Well, as the DC worshiper of the group, I think it's only fitting that I introduce trailer talk this week because DC is going all in on their TV universe, Nick. Not only is it all in on their TV universe, but pretty much they're doing what I think Marvel's doing with Netflix with their Daredevil and Iron Fist. It's like, yeah, we're tying this to our movie universe. They're definitely... Going to be tying this, I think, to their movie universe. And I think that this is a smart way to do it. We talked about, when we're talking about Justice League, how we wanted, you know, we need single individual movies. Right. Well, guess what? Maybe we're going to get these TV shows as the movies themselves so we can introduce the characters that way. And first one, right off the bat, is Flash. And i got to tell you, I was a little worried when I found out that CW was going to do Flash. Not because it's the CW and there's that teenage aspect, but I'm like, okay, effects-wise, yeah, how is this going to look? Yep. And I know that the effects were pretty good on the Tomorrow People for any anybody that watched that, and CW's had some decent effects in the past. But you think that when you think of somebody with super speed, you look at Smallville and what they did with Clark Kent, yeah, and, and as, quote-unquote, the blur, which I hate with a fire passion. stupid. But the good thing is, is that you see right off the bat that the visual effects actually look pretty darn good. Oh, yes. Flash. Oh, yes. Amazing. Like, even like when he gets struck by lightning, that whole effect there. Oh, yeah. When they the, did that the window shattering. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. And that's the thing. You mentioned Arrow. This is tied to Arrow. Stephen Amell actually tweeted out that he says, you know that show The Flash? I'm in the pilot. Yeah. So we know that it is going to be tied into Arrow. We figured that already because Flash was in an episode of Arrow earlier on as Barry Allen. And I think that they do a good job with, they've kind of got the origin story out of the way of how he becomes the Flash. They did that in Arrow. I'm sure they'll allude to it in the pilot episode a little bit. But I think that they've got a good cast here, too. Of course, you've got Grant Gauston, Virginia Beach native, which is where we're from. He's going to be playing Barry Allen, the Flash, which is very cool for us. One of the guys that stuck out to me 
And I don't know why I've always been a fan of this guy's work. It was Tom Cavanaugh, uh-huh. who's going to be playing Harrison Wells, who's going to kind of help Barry understand what's going on with his powers and stuff like that. If you remember Tom Cavanaugh, he was in that show Ed, which was kind of a yeah. cult hit. He was in a show called Trust Me about ad agencies. He was in some Scrubs episodes. I just think he's going to bring an interesting – because he's got a very interesting sense of humor and a sense of comedic timing. And he's also got that serious side that he can play too. So I think he's a nice integral part of the cast. I mean, a lot of people you look at like the cast itself. I mean, I, the, you know, Weather Wizard's going to be in this. I can't wait for that. Which That's looks fantastic. Uh, Rick Costnett's in this. Now, who is he playing? Eddie Thawne slash Professor Zoom. Mm-hmm. So, you know, also known as Reverse Flash. Yeah, you <laughs> had to have him in there. And, of course, there's the whole, you know, who killed his parents kind of thing, who killed his mother, and they say it could be his father. No. Uh-uh. Not I need Professor so Zoom because you see uh, that lightning. Yep, yep. that's it's, exactly. Well, then they made him believe that it was his father, just like you know yeah. Peter Parker was led to believe that his parents were Horrible on the people. evil side, and he's going to find out otherwise. Now, you were going to find it's a little different than Arrow, and I think that's a good thing in that he's a more willing hero. Yeah. Whereas you know Oliver Queen was a very reluctant hero, and he kind of transformed over the course of the first season and even into the second season when he decided not to kill anymore to be still a little bit of a hesitant hero whereas Barry Allen's it's like he's kind of psyched yeah. it's like okay yeah I'm going to be a hero this is a great thing let's do this so I think that that's going to bring a little bit more of a whereas Arrow's more dark I think that we're going to see a more lighter side in, in the Flash and I think that's going to be a great compliment for the two shows I mean this trailer overall it was just something that you know like I said, the effects looked amazing. And even going back to the teaser trailer when Arrow was shooting off, when Oliver was shooting off that one arrow, that was you see the Flash cool. catch it, yeah. and Oliver Queen's like, show off. That was very that's, cool. That's just very cool to see because you know they're going to have that kind of like back and forth witty humor mm-hmm. like in the definitely, comics where they kind of go back and forth. And I think that the, the good thing about this too is that you kind of see him saving regular people too. Yeah. So it's almost like you know how Peter Parker swings around the city and he saves everyday citizens. You're getting that kind of vibe with this Flash show as well. So it's not just going to be him battling guys like Weather Wizard and Professor Zoom, who I think is going to be the central figure of the of the first yeah. season. They're going to gradually find out what really happened in his mom's death, and that's where it's going to kind of come to a head at some point. But I think you're going to see a lot of everyday stuff. And you saw on Arrow, too, how they did you know sort of side villains that were either minor comic book villains or villains that they just kind of made up, like, when they, like the Vertigo uh, villain in Arrow, which was yeah. a great villain that they brought in. I think they'll do some of that, too. And it's going to be a very interesting playoff between uh, Jesse L. Martin, who plays Detective West, and uh, Barry Allen's character as well, because he's kind of like the mentor for the young Barry Allen, who's still like a crime scene investigator, yeah. still a police scientist. So he's almost going to be like a mentor to him in that respect. And the love interest would be very interesting to see what they do there because, you know, they're going to do that. Mm-hmm. Very interesting that uh, Felicity, Emily Bett from Arrow, not in the trailer for Flash. So that means, don't worry, she's going to be staying on Arrow. We still might see her come on to the Flash. I know that there's a lot of Felicity fans watching Arrow. Don't worry, they're not going to steal her away. So it'll be interesting <laughs> to see if she does show up eventually, though, because there was something going on between her and Barry Allen. Yeah, I mean, again, The Flash looks phenomenal. I mean, I can't wait to watch it. CW, I think, finally gotten their head around. They're turning they the corner. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, they're turning the corner to what people want. Now, speaking of what people want, this is going to make James 
very, very happy. Oh, yeah. Other than the fact I gave him power to cancel Castle last week. That's right. I'm working on that. <laughs> how is it? How, how far are you in the seasons, by the way? Oh, I haven't started yet. Oh, okay. Well, um, I mean, I have watched the show, That's and I have a reason for not liking it, but yep. I digress. But anyways, Constantine. Now, here's a confusing thing. You go on like IMDb, and it's like, oh, it's a movie. It's going to be like a movie. But then you go out places, that's going to be a TV show. What is it going to be? Is it going to be a TV show, or is it going to be like a movie? I it's going to be a TV show. Okay. They're, they're actually going to make it an actual series, and it's going to be based on, of course, if you're a fan of the Hellblazer comics. There's a very nice... If you watch the trailer... There's a nod to the New 52 in there as well. So right. they're kind of going to try and blend because they're Hellblazer comics. They're, you know, they're kind of older, so they want to bring it more into the modern times as well. So they're going to kind of blend the two nicely. I kind of say that Matt Ryan brings a dimension to Constantine in a way that Keanu Reeves just never did. And, and the thing about the, the fans of the Constantine movie is that's not John Constantine. No, it's movie. not. It's not. Matt Ryan nails it from the look to the accent to everything if you well, know anything about Constantine well the fact is he's, he's very comedic it's like you know you know the trailer starts off with this head doctor telling him hey when you first were admitted in here you know you said you were you know a spirit guy kind of thing uh-huh. and and he's like, oh, no, no, I have Demon Hunter too. Yeah, I'm like a that. petty dabbler. I really uh, need to change that. Yeah. Kind of and then there's a scene which is great. It takes place in an insane asylum, at least the beginning of it. And he just sees, like, he sees this woman staying there. She's staring at, like, a wall. And he's like, wondering what's going on. And he's like, all these bugs and stuff like that. Crying. And he's like, okay, I'm not dealing with this right now. Yeah, this is not my problem. And then he just looks back and goes, oh, screw it. And he's like, I, I'm addressing the demon inside. Mm-hmm. And it's just... It, it, the, 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 the special effects. Yeah. Holy crap. It's going to be epic. And if you know anything about Constantine, Constantine too, if you don't want to talk about unwilling. Yeah. This guy is unwilling. He does not want to deal with it. And they say about, they've said about Constantine that Constantine, John Constantine is the only soul that the devil himself would come up from hell to retrieve himself. Yeah. That's how important he is to the paranormal realm, as it were. And you bring up the whole soul concept, and the reason for this show is because he allowed some a girl, I believe it is, to, to instantly get killed and taken. And so, in order to get his soul back and to you know be good in the eyes of God again, pretty much, is he needs to do what he's been doing and exercising these demons. Yeah, he's been trying to save things. his soul the whole. That's what he's going to be doing the whole time is trying to save his soul. Now, there's a lot of good ways that they can go with this. He's also a magician as well. Let's not forget about that yep. if you know something about Constantine. Now, he's haunted by his past like you brought up, and he's sworn to protect this girl who's named Liv. Who he, she said, I told your father that I would protect you. And it turns out that she has a gift as well. Yeah. So he's going to kind of guide her through and help her along with that. But we know that something's coming. We have the character Manny, who's played by Harold, Harold Perrineau, who's from Lost. Yep. And we know that something's coming. We don't know what's coming. Now, there's plenty of ways that they could go with that. They could also go with something completely different and something that's not known from the Hellblazer comics or even the New 52 as well. But there's going to be a lot of religious slash paranormal stuff going back and forth here because that's what Constantine is. I mean, at certain points in the Constantine runs, you actually see gods. You actually see God, excuse me. He talks to angels. He goes down to hell. There's a lot going on here with Constantine. And the beauty part is is that they could either stick with the paranormal route the entire time or eventually, you know, once the show's successful, you start bringing in characters from the Justice League Dark, slowly but surely. I mean, if they want to go that route, Zatanna's top of the list. Yeah. Got to bring her in at some point. Or even... Um, 
Yeah, Swamp. Well, I mean, he first appeared in Swamp Thing number 37. So, I yeah. mean, it's possible. <laughs> we could, could you imagine that? Seeing sm- Swamp Thing on the small screen and possibly the big screen at some point. But I think you hit on it. Even though they're doing different networks, you've got CW with The Flash, Constantine is going to be on NBC, and even Gotham being on Fox doesn't mean they can't eventually say, oh, you remember Gotham? By the way, that was the origin story for our Batman, our Bruce Wayne that we're doing now. Yeah. And that was the origin story for all the villains that we want to do. So maybe, and you know, I don't want to say we're giving DC too much credit here, but maybe we're finally, finally getting the tie-in and they're just not telling us. Maybe. I mean, who knows? We, we, we don't know who, how they're going to go with the stories or what they're going to go excited. with. I'm just excited. But speaking of stories, coming up next, it's, we're going to take a trip around the internet like we do every week. Nerd News is coming up next. Well, it's time, boys and girls, nerds and nerdettes alike, where we take a trip around the interwebs because it's time for Nerd Nerd News. News. And this week, James, we're actually going to start off by going underwater, actually. Not the kind of underwater that you would have expected either because apparently Universal and Legendary are plotting a Namor the Submariner movie, which this was... There's a lot of history with this that people don't even realize. There was actually a screenplay that was written in 2006 wow. by David Self. This movie was supposed to happen then and kind of, you know, production hell that we've been talking about with a lot of other movies. And your buddy, Joe Casada, actually thought... We were actually supposed to have brunch today. He canceled oh, on That's me. a shame. I can't imagine why. He probably listened to a couple of the episodes. Probably. Uh, well, he actually thought that the film rights just kind of reverted back to Marvel for this character. Yay! Guess what? Not so much. He found that out in 2013, so still with Universal. And, you know, this is Latino Review, and they really don't have a whole lot of evidence to support this. There's basically an untitled project that they said is not a sequel or a remake, and it's based on an underlying intellectual property. That's the quote. So they're saying it's supposed to be released in November 4th of 2016, so very possible this could be... A Namor the Submariner movie. So we're getting this before Aquaman? Uh, well, here's the thing. I touched on this during our Count Society uh, podcast. The Submariner, and here's just one of the things, which I think this is the reason why I think it, it is happening, or at least more likely it will be happening, is because you have Fantastic Four coming out, okay? There's that, yeah. Now, I understand Fantastic Four is not, you know, with Universal. Um, and... You know, Legendary Pictures has a new partnership and stuff like that that, they, that Latino Review announced. Um, and uh, one of the biggest arcs in the Submariner's history is him fighting the Human Torch. Yeah, and I mean, he was a top three character when he was first introduced. Keep that in mind. It was yeah. Captain America, Human Torch, and Namor the Submariner. This character was created by Bill Everett in 1939, yeah. for God's sake. So, I mean... This guy, it's a may, maybe not so much now, but at least at one point was a major character. Oh yeah, and I think that, like I said, him going on, yeah, this new Fantastic Four coming out, whether we like it or not, whatever. But the thing is, is one of the best arcs and biggest arcs in comics was the whole fire versus water, who will win? You know, I mean, even in later in comic book history, Namor Samaria goes turns his hatred from humans into. Other beings, pretty much. So that's one of the biggest things was with this whole Human Torch Submariner and Submariner, you know, even as, like, the wars progress on, so that he, his hatred of humans pretty much goes towards now 
his hatred of like other beings and stuff like that, mm-hmm. other than humans. He definitely has a short fuse. That's you, that's yeah. the common thread. Whether they try to make him a hero or a villain at any point, the short fuse is the common thread with this character. Now this ties into another thing Latino Review reported again. Now. They're not a hundred percent with everything they do. They've it, been uh, right, but they've been wrong. Yeah, but that's what everybody though. Um, but they reported, and it's a rumor that Zac Efron has a strong chance of being cast as either Daredevil or Doctor Strange. Mm-mm. No, Mm-mm. I, I I will be quick to say this is not no, Eddie no, Murphy no. is going to be <laughs> in Batman. There's <laughs> no way. I mean. I mean, could he pull Daredevil off? A young Daredevil. But here's the thing, though. Michael C. Hall has been linked to the Daredevil Netflix. And look though. at the gap there, age-wise. Yeah. So what are you going to do? Are you really going to try and go young Daredevil with Zac Efron? I doubt it. I, and, and, and there's no way in hell they're doing Doctor Strange. He's got to be in his mid-30s. That? No, Doctor Strange is you like just, in his yeah, mid-30s. You, can't, you don't see it. I understand that... Zach Efron's hot right now for the ladies, literally for us, figuratively. Well, well, and also, I mean, he does have the Disney ties yeah. to High School Musical. And I'm not saying the guy, the kid, doesn't have chops. He's a pretty good actor. He was great in Neighbors. Yeah. I loved him. So, he was one of the best things about it. I mean, I think that he's the guy that you know he was the it kid back in the day. He, there was a lull there, and he's hot now. Yeah. So why wouldn't you want to try and grab him for something if you were Marvel? And maybe, maybe, just maybe, DC says, wait a second, let's try and scoop this kid up for something, anything, before Marvel gets him. We don't know. There could be battles going on behind the scenes for this kid. There, We don't know, but again, going back to the Submariner, looking at the picture of him on your notes there, it... it this looks like a submariner. I mean, he's definitely. I mean, maybe you would say the same thing with the age thing, but that's the great part about the submariner is that if you're not necessarily tying it to anything, you can start it wherever you want. So age wouldn't necessarily be an issue, now, right? Now, when I, now, well, no, but now when I said your nose, what I meant was that trapper keeper you have covered in that Gavron shirtless stickers. Well, you know, I have a problem. You do have a problem. You do. You really do have a problem. <laughs> I don't think your wife would be appreciative of that problem. Who do you think put the stickers there? Oh, well, true. <laughs> true. Oh, man. This is a dual trapper keeper. It's a, it's a dual trapper keeper, so, I mean, we'll see. Got Harley Quinn on the other side. Yeah, but I think it's more for her, though. I think you're... <laughs> don't try to hide the Zac Efron thing, man. You know what I mean? That, that's like with Cody and I. Was, I texted Cody today earlier. Um, I was at work, and, and we were, I put it up on, on my Facebook. I said, uh, you know, I go, does anybody remember when trolls were a thing? And Cody was like... Oh, thanks for bringing up those those horrible, terrible memories. And yeah, man, my sister was into those trolls, man. It was just yeah, that was that she's was, addicted, addictive. Oh, for, for if you had a if you had a sister in the nineties, I I never got it. I never understood it. But I mean, a lot of you were right. A lot of people were into it. And Zac Efron is the hot name right now. And I definitely think if you're gonna do, if you have to do a a Submariner movie, which I'm not saying they shouldn't. But if you're going to do it, I think Zac Efron's a good choice. I, I think so, too. Now, speaking of bad choices and good choices, Viggo Mortensen came out and pretty much criticized Peter Jackson. Where did this even come from? That's I don't know. Thing. It was very <laughs> random that this even happened. I mean, he was very critical of not the original Lord of the Rings movie, not Fellowship, but everything after that. Yeah, and he's, he was doing an interview with The Telegraph, and he criticized the Hobbit movies and the last two Lord of the Rings. And he said, quote, there were a lot of trouble, and Peter had spent a lot. Officially, he could say that he, we were finished in the summer of 2000. He shot all three films in the trilogy, but really, the second and third ones were a mess, and it was very sloppy. And he pretty much goes on and say, had uh, Fellowship 
not made what it did, the last two have gone straight to DVD or VHS. Big trouble, yeah. And I mean, and I understand what he's saying in that respect, and there was a lot of reshoots, big surprise. Peter Jackson's movies are kind of notorious for having a lot of reshoots anyway. So that shouldn't be a surprise. But I mean, he really rips into the fact that the movies following Fellowship, there was a lot of CG. It wasn't as organic, and he thought that that's what made the first film great. Well, also, I mean, as an actor, I mean, Coy talked about this last week, where, you know, if you're, you know, the actors, like we talk about Planet of the Apes, and, you know, they're looking at nothing, they get a lot of credit. But it's like, there's certain actors where, I mean, if I was an actor, I, yeah, green screen's great because it saves your time and everything like that. Mm But it's better when you're, like, you're on a set. You know, like, for example, as, oh, bad, I understand as, that. Bad, yeah. as, as bad as the Star, Star Wars prequels were, when you saw the people in the Jedi's fighting on that front of the blue screen, you're like, hey, this actually has some good interaction here because yeah. I'm actually fighting with somebody. Whereas with this, you know, we had the, all the orcs and everything like that. But, you know, when you watch the first fellowship, you're like, wow, they probably had a, two or three hundred, uh, uh, you know, Extras to be orcs oh, easily, in this movie, easily. and they all sat there. You know, there was some digitally because you're not gonna have a thousand right, extras. You couldn't do it all without CG. Yeah, so they, but they probably had probably had like ten to twenty extras or hundred extras at most, and like just paint them up and say, "Hey, let's go." And you'll do. You lose that aesthetic thing, and it's you know a lot of these films are shot you know now in high depths, and it's like when you yeah when you look at like The Hobbit and Desolation of Smaug, it's like. I'd rather not wa- watch, you know, CG orcs and stuff like that. I mean, right? I, I get that, and and I think that there there was a difference between Fellowship and the other and the other films. But I think you could do that with the Fellowship because there wasn't as much going on in the Fellowship as there was in the movies that were going to come out subsequently. Well, I mean, well, I mean, with the movies, all I mean, Clerks Two really says it best. It's just a bunch of three movies about. Hobbits walking to a volcano. That's what the whole first movie is, basically. And I mean, I, I if you look back at it, if you're being honest with yourself, I don't see how you do uh, Return of the King without massive special effects. Oh, yeah. You cannot do the fires of Mordor organically. The final <laughs> battle between Sauron and the orcs and their little group there and the giant trees. I mean, you can't do that. Without massive CG, there's no way to do that yeah. and make it look organic. So, I mean, you kind of have to do it. Uh, did they go a little overboard in the Hobbit films so far with CG? Yeah, they went a little overboard. Yeah. But, I mean, you've got, in the in the second one, you've got Smaug, the dragon. you got to have CG for that. Well, yeah. There's not... certain scenes in Desolation of Smaug that you have to have CG for that. But I agree, you don't just, just because you can do it doesn't mean you should say, screw it. Let's just do it for everything. So I kind of, I'm on the, I'm on the kind of scales of justice here, where I kind of tip myself one way and say, yeah, he's kind of right. I see what he's saying, and then I really think about, it, I'm like, well, you can't do certain things. You don't want it to look cheesy either. It's my no. I mean, you could obviously you can do a lot of these things without CG, but should you? No. Just like the Spider-Man films, I hate to keep bringing those up, but there's certain things you just can't oh, yeah. do without CG, and I think that is funny as it is because they're two different totally different genres there's just certain things you can't do without cg you just cannot make it happen yeah i mean that that's true i mean the cg allows you to do certain things and that you just can't do with practical effects like the nolan trilogy did a good job of not constantly using cg and still getting what they wanted right but i think again that's a different animal and when you're talking about creating these 
elaborate worlds, you cannot do that without a certain amount of CG. I'm not saying it has to be loaded up like Vigo is talking about with Peter Jackson, but you got to have a, a good amount in certain respects. Right. So, I mean, that, that's the thing, too, is, you know, it has different amounts and different worlds. And speaking of different worlds, you know, Dark Horse, you know, the comics, they're doing Star Wars runs. Well, those are actually sadly ending in August of this year. We should be playing... Right now, I don't know about you, but I'm playing that sad Star Wars music in my head while we do this. Yeah. You know, the anytime there's anything sad that yeah. happens in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the four, the four uh, original movies, the three original movies, yep. that's the song I'm hearing in my head right now. <laughs> so just keep going. I mean, this thing it has so much history to it. It's so sad because there was a 23-year run mm-hmm. that Dark Horse had, and they were exclusive licensed publisher of the new Star Wars comics and the thing reason why they lost the rights and is because you know the whole Disney acquisition Disney yep. said we're not renewing our partnership and we're going to pretty much go to our own thing now and now Marvel's going to be the one that's in the mix for this which is kind of unfortunate because it's like the big guy picking on the little guy well you know I mean look at Pixar and Boom Studios yep, I mean, that's the same exact thing happened there you know, I mean, that's the thing. And so the final releases for Dark Horse will be Star Wars number 20, um, Darth Maul, Son of Deathmire, and Star Wars Legacy number 18, which is codenamed The Final Battle. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's sad to see something this long just come to an end. I've never read the Star Wars Dark Horse comics. I'm not going to pretend that I picked up every issue of them. No. But the stuff that I had seen, I, I definitely enjoyed uh, it's it's just kind of a I, I definitely get that kind of unfortunate big guy picking on the little guy thing. I don't necessarily think that it's it's Marvel's fault that this is happening. And I guess why wouldn't you yeah. want the Star Wars comics? But here's my problem. I mean, is this a property that Marvel even needed to take from them? No. Because how much are they really going to focus on it? Because it's they Marvel. were in it for the movies. Yeah. Let's just be honest with ourselves. They were in it. For the films, they don't care about the comics, and that's my problem. Disney has a vault for a reason. It's to keep certain properties that they now own in that vault so nobody else can use them, nobody else can see them. That's why it's doing it. Look what Marvel just did recently with the slew of number one releases they did for characters like Iron Patriot and the Daredevil reboot. Even Nightcrawler, going as far as that. They just did that because they didn't want to lose the rights to these characters, to somebody else, so you have to churn out something to keep that intellectual property. Yeah, and you know, like I said, like I said, it's sad. I mean, even if you read one issue or zero or all the issues, it's sad because to me, I'm I'm a years kind of guy. I'm more of like you know, this is 23 years, dude. That's I mean, a lot. And that's a lot. This is a, and we're not talking about a massive conglomerate here. This is Dark Horse Comics. For all intents and purposes, they're more of an indie publisher. Oh, yeah. How badly does this hurt them as a company? A lot. I mean, it's like it's like the massive Barnes and Noble opening not up next to the mom and pop bookstore next yeah. door. Yeah, and it's it's sad because it's like you know you mentioned how they're pretty much like independent, you know, like IDW and stuff. And they do good work. They do good work, and it's just you know, uh, it, it's sad because it's like you you gotta give those independent publishers. If you're Marvel and DC, you gotta give them a bone at least. You know, it's yeah, you know, it, because. 
honestly, it's kind of like I, I'm a big sports gamer, so it's kind of like when EA got the the, the Madden, the football license from mm-hmm. 2K, and it was the only ga- you know game out there for football, and the games were I'm sorry, they were terrible. They they were just bad yeah. for whatever reasons. Um, it's like with Marvel, not it's that they get these acquisitions and say, okay, we're the bigger company, we're gonna get the rights to these, and we don't care if we redo them and they're just terrible. And that's what's gonna happen. Force them out. That's there. my worry that that's gonna happen. It, it's ours for the taking because we gotta show how big of a company we are, pretty much. I just and I understand you're in it for the films and you'd be stupid not to be. But the first things first is is we're already looking at possibly a four month gap between even getting a new Star Wars comic in the first place, and you're talking about maybe launching in 2015, well, what if they wait until the movie comes out? Yeah. Then you've got, what, no Star Wars comics for how many years? I mean, you can't go that... I mean, I guess you can, because it's not like I'm reading them cover to cover every month either, but, I mean, should you? This is a property that was probably sustaining Dark Horse pretty well, I mean, I know that they had pretty good sales with their Star Wars comics. You know, right. of course, they're always going to be able to go back and release any kind of back issue type stuff. You know, re, re get you know put new graphic novels together and do sort of like anniversary editions and stuff. They'll still be able to do that, but it's not the same. And to take this property away from them, basically, and that's what's happening. Let's not sugarcoat it. Yeah, this property is being taken away from them from a larger acquisition. From Lucasfilms, and I just don't see why this is a great thing. It's 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 not a great thing. You know, when you take away titles like this, it's, it it hurts people. I mean, I know they'll survive. They've got other good titles oh, right. too. And and I don't want it to seem like you know Marvel's just kicking them in the balls constantly every day because of this. They'll survive, but that's a major property to lose. I mean, yeah, it, it's just you know it, it sucks. And what it does is I think it unfairly creates independent people like IDW and like Dark Horse to create their own comics, their own characters. Which is tough enough in this day and age. Yeah. Because the, the, the genre is probably more popular than it has been in years and you've got so many established characters. Wrap your head around what you just said for a second. I think we should all do that. How hard is it now to actually bring in a new character introduce a completely new character and storyline into comics now and actually make it work. But not just make it work, but have it take off as rapidly. You know, when people hear of a Star Wars thing, you know... That's a no-brainer. That's a no-brainer. Yeah. You know, even when you go back to like the, incre- the creation of Spider-Man, it's like the name itself got you wanting to read it because it's, it's very interesting. When they did the Tomb Raider comics, when they decided to dive yeah. into that with the popularity of the game and the character was popular enough as it is... That's again. It's a no-brainer. People, I picked up the first issue just because it was Tomb Raider, yeah. and I enjoyed the game, and I enjoyed the 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 games from even before. And, so I wanted to check it out. And pretty much what we're getting at, folks, is that when you're dealing with an independent publishing, like you know, with these, with these companies, the a lot of more of their work are you know um, properties that they've gotten through companies and failures for companies like that are a much bigger deal yes than failures for Marvel can just say oh so the Iron Patriot comic comic didn't work out no problem who cares we'll just shove him up to the side now and we'll focus on these big guys but it's like IDW and Winter World and Ninja Turtles that's a huge risk that's a huge risk that they're doing with with the Xbox that we talked about last week that's a big risk for them worth taking I'm sure but and I mean when they redid the Crow again that was a that's a property that's known 
not as well known, but it's still known. But our buddy Drew Moss did a fantastic job and with it. He continues though. to do it. That's for darn sure. <laughs> but I mean, you know, like I said, that's very hit or miss. Like I said, Ninja Turtles. It's like I read an issue or two of it, and it was just like, eh, it didn't really grab me as much. Right, and you grabbed it because you're a Ninja Turtles fan. Yeah, and that's the bottom line. And it's it's a lot harder to break new characters, and that could be exactly what Naughty Dog is going to start doing because they're promising some brand new experiences next. Now, I want to say this before we dive into what game-wise people are thinking they could do because they're thinking, oh, okay, they could do a Crash Bandicoot, which would be great, bring him back, or a, 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 a Jack and Dexter, but notice the word used is experience. Not games, mm-hmm. experience. Yeah, I noticed that too, actually. So, the PlayStation Morpheus is out. I hope to God that Naughty Dog doesn't be like, hey, we're going to release, re-release like The Last of Us, but it's going to be like 3D for the Morpheus kind of thing, or mm. re-release this game, or mm. that game, you know, or, or create this game. Don't, I hope it doesn't be like, we're going to make certain titles for like the Kinect kind of thing, but like you need the Morpheus for this. I hope That's to my God that doesn't too. happen. That's my worry too, because I was actually, because remember when they did the whole 3D with PS3, yeah, where it was just basically something that you put on your screen, and you know, lo and behold, you have 3D for whatever games made that available. Yeah. Obviously, not every game had that capability. Yeah, but I mean, and that's the thing too. Is it going to be one of those things where you've got to now rebuy certain games? And this whole re-release stuff, I don't know about you, man, but it bugs me. It does. I mean, you know, well, like you know, you look at something like Tomb Raider. As great as a game Tomb Raider was. You know, they re-released on the PS4, which is fine. But I think even when the PS3 version, and it was, turns on the only game, but it's like, okay, when it was first released, we had the original edition, right? Then you have, we have the Game of the Year edition, which is the exact yeah. same game, maybe, yeah. except it has a couple different features. I don't like that either. It's like, it, it's a cheap way to get money out of people's I pockets. I mean, if you want to re-release a game later on because it became popular and somebody that might not have it and give them an extra like DLC or something with it yeah I'm okay with that because like for, for example I ended up buying because I got a PS3 way later than most people so I right. ended up getting the Arkham uh, Game of the Year edition for Arkham Asylum just because I hadn't had it yet and I went and I wanted to go ahead and pick it up and that was the one that was available so I got that and it came with a couple of extra things so I was cool with that, but I mean to re-release a game in a brand new because it's remastered that bugs me. It's like going back to when you had to rebuy a movie on Blu-ray because you wanted that high definition experience on the Blu-ray, and which is fine by the way. You're not going to do that for every movie. Yeah, and I can understand doing that, but game I don't know why, but to me games are different. This yeah. is different. It's it's the same game. Yeah. You're not giving me a different ending or anything, or alternate endings. This is the same exact thing over and over again. If you've already played it, would you really rebuy a game that you've already it's completed? Like, well, it's like even with movies, when you see, like, uh, you know, for like Wolf of Wall Street, for example, right? They released it on DVD. However, they were saying, oh, well, we're going to, now we're going to re release this, like, five hour cut. The director's cut kind of thing. Going back to Peter Jackson on and that it's as like, well. Yeah. But it's like, really? So you're making me spend, not make me spend, but you're, you're you're wanting people to buy the first DVD, which is the cut edited version, and then you're teasing, not really giving a date as to when you want right. to release this. Right. 
24-hour Scorsese, yeah. you know, movie. It's like go go screw yourself, man. Yeah, now with fifty percent more f bombs, yes, right, Wall Street. Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, could could this be? Could it not be the the Morpheus headset? It might not be. I mean, we could be looking at like you said, another Crash Bandicoot, another Jackson Dexter. But I mean, is there a, are there a market for those for those games anymore? For Crash Bandicoot, yeah. You know, how many people want one. I mean, it's been a while, so I mean, they've definitely created that want like we've talked about many times before where you kind of take something away for a while you create that demand and all of a sudden oh here it is and everybody's excited again now to do that for PS4 I guess you really could put some really interesting effects into a game like that yeah I mean you you really could it'd be great because like I said a lot of people you see something like 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 you know, Crash Bandicoot. And it's like okay, you know, the graphics for PS One and PS Two weren't the greatest, but at the time they were amazing. But it's like you get that on a PS Four, yeah, dude. Well, I mean, they they had considered uh, part of what the story goes on to say is that they actually seriously considered making a new Jax and Dex and Dexter game, but they just kind of didn't never really got off the ground. It didn't really materialize, and as the years went on, it was became less and less of a possibility. So. There's not as much chatter about Crash Bandicoot, and maybe that's the reason. Maybe this is the secret little project that's been hiding in the weeds. I hope so. I really, really. I, I, really, I could really see really that working so. out. I mean, it was a fun. It was a fun genre that they just kind of went away from. Speaking of fun genres, that's going to do it for new news, and we're going to jump into our main topic after this break. Our main topic this week: fan films and just their place in society and even in movie history. So we'll be talking more about that coming up next. More Down and Nerdy coming up. Well, it might not be cons, but it is the Down and Nerdy Fan Film Festival audio version. Yes. This week. And we want to, we've actually been talking for a while behind the scenes. We talk about a lot of fan films. And we were kind of saying, you know, is this something that we want to start discussing? And I think that we kind of saw how they were taking off and more and more good fan films were being made. So I think we just kind of came to the conclusion of, you know what, let's just give them all their own little spotlight here. Oh, exactly. I mean, you know, you mentioned how they're just taking off. I mean, and the thing is, too, is, you know, Kickstarter is a big reason as to why these things are oh, taking off. definitely. I mean, you know, since 2009, Kickstarter, 10,000 filmmakers raised more than $88 million due to Kickstarter. So Kickstarter has done so much for independent films, for fan films. Definitely. Now you've seen some famous actors that want to do their own films oh, saying, definitely. hey, we don't want to go through a studio. We want to do our own thing and have our own take on. Mm. So we're doing this. And, you know, you look at, like, and this is an amazing statistic, at Sundance in 2013, 19 films, which was equal to 10% of the festival slate, were funded by Kickstarter. Wow. That's a, that's a great statistic. And these are fan films, people. These are not major motion yeah. pictures. I mean, it, there's creative people out there. I mean, look at a guy like Kevin Smith. Look where he started. Yeah. I mean, and this was before Kickstarter. I mean, this guy was doing it with just random funds. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I, saw, you know, I, I went to film school, and the most expensive film I ever did was a documentary. It was a three-part documentary. I did on handicap athletes and just like them going through. It's called Once You're Handicapped. If you ever want to check it out, it's on YouTube actually. Um, and it's it was a it was supposed to be a three part series, but we decided to cut it to two. Um, and pretty much, it's cost a hundred bucks <laughs> because which is great because all that went to because well because we could rent we rented the equipment from the school right um, which is 
amazingly awesome. Saves a lot of money. And pretty much all I went into was gas and food because we shot this in Syracuse and we stayed at my parents' house. Right. So we didn't have to pay for lodging. All I had to pay for was gas. And, you know, whenever we stopped somewhere, I always, it was me and two of my friend, my best friends, uh, Josh and Dan, and we would oh, we would get hop, we hopped in Josh's little Honda Fit. Now, these two guys, <laughs> quick little history about Josh and Dan. These two guys are well over six foot. Uh-huh. So picture these two guys in a Honda like Fit. Like a clown car. Just driving <laughs> 10 hours from Virginia Beach to Syracuse, New York. Uh-huh. It's, it's, it was really great, but yeah, like all the hundred dollars we went to was, like I said, like gas and 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 you know, when we stopped somewhere. I would, I always paid for their food. I'm like, hey, you guys are taking your right. whole weekend out, pretty much, you know, to to do this for me for my senior project. There are filmmakers listening to this right now, going, yeah, that's about right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, many, I mean, those those were the days, man. And you know, <clears throat> having something like Kickstarter, yeah, if you want to do. A movie that has to deal with scripts and casting and everything, yeah, and especially superheroes, yeah, it's something you really need to look at. Now, me personally, I did one film that dealt with a script and having to actually cast people. Um, I, never again. It was my first film I've ever done. It was like five minutes. First and last. Ne- never, never again. I the casting process sucks. Uh, you know, having to worry about people bailing on you sucks. I I, I just didn't like dealing with scripts and I didn't like dealing with actors I'm just like you know what it's understandable it sucks I mean it it was just it it wasn't fun you know but I mean going on to some fan films that we enjoy or just trailers in general we enjoy that are made by fans the first one I'm going to bring up is the Akira one that came out it was last year that That was amazing now for many many years there have been Hollywood said we want to do an Akira movie live action You want to get Keanu Reeves <laughs> in Akira? No, no, no. no. Don't and, do that. And this is one of the movies about in production hell as well. Uh-huh. Well, these group of filmmakers got together and said, "Let's do an Akira movie." It was. It took them literally like three to four years just to do a trailer, which is crazy because of the effects. When you see this trailer, folks, it's an Akira trailer, fan made. The effects. I swear to God, they were Speed Racer esque, uh-huh. and they just took a lot. You're like, yeah, I can see why it took them a couple of years to, you know, put this trailer together because all the effects in general, the bike and everything else. Right. I'm like, this is how you do an Akira movie. I actually watched Akira the other night, and it was great. It was like, oh yay, fun. Had to kind of compare the two. Well, no, well that was like I watched Akira before the trailer, but I'm like, I gotta rewatch this to see like how it mixes it well. And you wanted to see like, okay, how does it mix well? And it mixed really, really well. They captured the spirit of the movie Akira. And they did a really good job. I mean, a lot of fans of it were praising it and saying, hey, this is what needs to be done. Hollywood, listen. And another trailer, I believe this was being made to a movie. I don't know if they released it yet, if it was in production or what's going on. But Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, they were going to do another one. But the way they were doing it, they actually went around to San Diego Comic Con, this group of filmmakers, and they had like a trailer already made. Mm-hmm. And it was going to be around Lord Zed, and he's been defeated, he's coming back kind of a thing. Right. Um, but he's just been, you know, he's coming, start from the bottom, now he's there pretty much. Um, and it's a more darker tone. Like the trailer itself is That's like, interesting. The trailer itself, I'll show it to you after the show because it's like a minute long, but it's freaky, dude. We're going to be posting all this stuff up too, by the way, on the Facebook oh, yeah. page as well. I'll definitely post this um, after the show is posted too, just to give you and show you. Because like I said, these guys really did a great job. I mean, it's such a really dark, gritty. Totally different from the show, which is great. Which I mean, if you're—that's the point of doing these fan films. You can make it your own take, and there's less pressure involved yeah. in these films. And, and the thing with Power Rangers is, you know, if you're doing a Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie, 
the people who watch Mind from Power Juice are going to be our age. They're going to right. be in their 20s, going to be in their early 30s. These are the people that watch them. You're not going to get an 18-year-old or a 13-year-old or a 10-year-old to understand right. and watch this movie because they don't know what Mind from Power Juice is. Know your are. audience. Make your film for the audience you want to make them for. Exactly. That's the thing that you can do with stuff like this. One of the films that I really just loved, and I'm just going to start off with the one I think I like the most. It was a short film, Red Queen, which is based on Harley Quinn. And I got to tell you, it's uh, by Australian supermodel Sheridan Fisher, and it's for Mechanical Mind Studios. The wow factor in the first episode is actually, oddly enough, it's in the credits. Yes. And that's the weird thing because you're watching this and it's very dark and it's very eerie. It definitely has that kind of painting the great picture of how warped Harley's mind is. And I say mind because you find out at the end this entire thing is happening in her mind. All of these characters happening inside her head. Yes. And the thing is like, you know, it starts off with Harley Quinn being Prince brought to Arkham. And you have dragged this, in, by the way, dragged in, yes, in a straitjacket. And you have this guy who's not in paint or anything like that, but the way he does his voice, the way he laughs, it's Joker. Yeah, it's Joker. It's Joker. But he's supposedly her conscience. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the Harleen Quinzel side, now, the doctor side. I, that was crazy. Now, and it's like a battle of two sides. Now, mm-hmm. when I first saw the Harleen Quinzel, I'm like. Okay, maybe we're doing like a female Hugo Strange. It was a little bit of a the glasses and yeah. the jacket. And then you find out, oh, she's Harley Quinzel. And I texted you afterwards and I said, you know, this was just like, you know, you said it's set up in her mind. This is exactly like that, that, when she's, that brink. It's kind of like you think about it, it's happening in her mind. It's kind of like when she's talking to Joker and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's like as if she was still Quinzel when she was talking to Joker. She was she's tortured like, inside her own head. Yeah. Which and, is basically what was going on. But it reminded on. me, it was kind of like, you know, if you played, um, what was it, the last Batman Arkham game, mm. Arkham Origins, and pretty much like the whole thing with Har- Harley and Joker, mm. where it's like, oh, yeah, hey, you're pretty interesting, Joker. I want to, like, you know, I, wanna, I, I mm-hmm. think I love you. And that's what it was. It was like, and he's like, this just the beginning kind of thing. And it's th- like, you know, she, uh, uh, it, it, it's kind of like, like I said, the last fragment of her sanity is just torn apart. The thing I love, too, is that, like I said, I call it the true Harley, was kind of laying dormant because yeah. she's being dragged in and she's kind of lifeless. And then all of a sudden she springs to life and takes out everybody else and kind of escapes out of her own head. And then the tagline at the end, sanity is overrated. Yes. I loved that. Now, Said by a, a, a... I didn't know Steven Seagal was a janitor, by yeah, the way. Yeah, that was very interesting. <laughs> it was very... St- it actually did look a lot like Steven Seagal, but Maybe I actually uh, got an email from uh, Daniel Mayer from Mechanical Mind Studios, and there will actually be more episodes. They've only done one episode so far. They're going to shoot more episodes, and they said they're going to keep like the steampunk kind of angle now that she's outside of her own head. So I'm very psyched can't wait to see where this goes because I think it's going to be a great ongoing thing and I hope it helps the the they're based out of Australia I really hope it helps them take off oh yeah and you know continue with the DC Batman arc there's one film it was made for a hundred dollars that's and, great and it, it was a, it looked to be like a lot of single cam shots mm-hmm. and it was a fan film called Born Laughing and it pretty much follows the Joker during a home invasion he does and, of course, Josh Davidson, who plays the Joker, he inspires off the Heath Ledger look of the Joker. And it had a holy Christ moment 
in it. I'm not gonna say it was because it's, it's it's very one of those things where it makes you jump a little bit, like mm. you didn't expect it at the last second. But it's six minutes, and it's just it's really really cool. Like it, it, it's like I said, single shot, single cam. The thing about these a lot of these fan films is James. I'm not sure if you know as much about cameras and stuff like that, but a lot of they're shot on what's called the red camera, which is a very high def camera. And actually, um, a lot of shows nowadays are shot on in a lot of movies. Um, and it's very, very high def. Most of the time, it'll look really realistic. Like, if you ever watch like, a high definition, if you ever watch like, a TV show like on a high def channel, and every time the camera's moving, and you're like, wow, it's, like, you can tell it looks like they're on a set. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't look like they doesn't have that TV look. It looks like they're just on a set. Like, right. on a set. Right. That's what the red, stuff on the red looks like in nice. a sense. Um, but it's really, really clean, really, really awesome. And then, like I said, the ending shot was tra- the transition. And it starts off as an animated thing and just transitions into live action and ends in an animated shot. Interesting. Um, now, we don't like zombies. No. We think it's a, 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 a trope and a, a storyline that's a just fan. been exhausted Not to a high hell. Well, Marvel Zombies is the one odd comic series kind of thing that's you know, taking a life. And there's a trailer that I showed you when you first, when you arrived, when you came over today, and the the, the amazing makeup by Jim O'Jolla and Scotty Fields oh, is yeah. fantastic. I will not deny that for a second, especially the Hulk makeup in there. Yeah. Unbelievable. Good job on those I guys. mean, you know, it starts off with Peter Parker, who's, you know, as Spider-Man, and Mary Jane pretty much finds him hunched over in front of like a, looks like a barn kind of a thing. Sure. And he turns around and is the zombie thing and he attacks Mary Jane kills her and pretty much Jesus like the, the amount of effects like good effects that went into that like practical oh, filmmaking yeah. practical effects were astounding when it comes to like the, the intestines and the goriness of it yeah they definitely did a good job they they painted the picture really well I'll tell you that much yeah I mean they definitely painted the picture there as, as far as I'm concerned now I gotta tell you as far as gore goes I know that you probably saw this one as well the death stroke Arkham Assassin fan film that was made by uh, Going Nowhere Studios, directed by Chris White and Larry White. They're actually partnering up with Machinima, too. And this is kind of based on the Arkham Origins game, and it starts out with Black Mask, and he hires these guys to kill Batman. They can't do it. He's not happy. And one of the f- my favorite parts of this whole fan film is when Deathstroke walks in and he just says, I hear you have a job opening. Yeah. And I just loved that line. And then you see the Deathstroke. First of all, the black mask suit and the mask. Oh, my God. Dead on. The the voiceover work, the actor that did the voiceover work, his name escapes me off the top of my head. Fantastic job. Nailed the look for Black Mask. Nailed the voice. And same thing with Deathstroke as well. And basically, he says... You know, I want to take your contract to kill Batman, but you're going to pay me double, and you're yeah. going to do it now. And he has, he says, okay, sure, why not? Yeah, I'll give you the contract if you can beat all my men in five minutes unarmed. <laughs> so then it goes into the fight scenes, and there was a lot of the slow-mo kind of action, and there was a lot of gore, man. There was at one point where he kind of clotheslines a guy's head off, <laughs> blows a guy's head completely off. I mean, might have been a little, a little over the top at times, but then you remember, okay, yeah, Deathstroke is a super soldier, so this is stuff that he can actually do. Right. And I just think the props, too, were dead on. The swords that they were using, very well done. The, there was a lot of dark humor there where he kind of gets halfway through and he has a gun in his hand and Black Mask kind of goes, <clears throat> and kind of dangles a gun saying, you know, you're not supposed to be armed, you need to drop that. And I just think that the special effects were even pretty well done on a something that was a limited budget, 
from a small studio fan-made film, I was really impressed with the way they did it. And I'm kind of, if it leaves you wanting more to me, especially with a fan film and it's a short film, if it leaves you wanting more, then it's a good fan film. And I definitely wanted to see more of that. Yeah, I mean, you know, speaking of wanting to see more fan films, what to you makes a good fan film? I mean, is it, for me personally, it's uh, more of trying to maybe write a movie wrong that a lot of people maybe felt, you personally felt. I think if you could see a certain take on it. Um, I think when it comes to characters, like, yeah, when, you, when I see someone with the Joker, I'm sorry, folks, I can kind of do less without the Heath Ledger-esque right. acting, trying to make it the Joker your own, in a sense. I think that that's what I like the most, is you're taking people that are fans, especially, like, these guys from Going Nowhere Studios, they said, you know, that we're, we're nerds, and this is for the fans. Yeah. This is why we want to do this. So I think that it allowed them to take... I kind of like the fact that it, it gives you the opportunity to, to give us your take on the character. Or maybe pay homage to a character that is either never going to see the light of day in feature film or never going to be spotlighted in a certain respect. And maybe Deathstroke is one of those kind of characters. Well, one of those kind of characters, too, especially after Dark Knight Rises, was Nightwing. Yeah, and the uh, ISMA Hawk guys in the MG Studios produced that. It's Danny Shepard and Dominica Castro. And and again, they're admitted nerds. They want to do this for the fans. And i got to tell you, if you see the trailer, I know we've posted this before, it actually kind of looks... Feature film-esque. Yeah. I mean, I know that their Kickstarter, they raised so much money so quickly that they really didn't even need to do the <laughs> Kickstarter anymore, which was funny. And if you look at the Nightwing costume, and they're actually still kind of upgrading it as they go, it's pretty dead on. Yeah. I and mean, they do a great job. And the, the thing that I liked about the trailer is that they definitely look like they're in it for the long haul. Oh, yeah. They're in it for, like, several episodes. The only thing that kind of stunk for me is, and again, it kind of left me wanting more, there's there's no dialogue. I mean, you get great shots of Deathstroke. There's some great action. There's a couple great action sequences. Mm -hmm. You can see that they're going to bring a human element into it with a love interest, but there was no dialogue. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. I want to get some dialogue. Right. I want to hear what what this guy has to say and, you know, get a little bit more into what the plot line's going to be. And it's actually centered around Dick Grayson, of course. You know, he's, he has a falling out with Bruce Wayne and Batman, and that's where it picks up, just kind of like the Nightwing storyline is supposed to pick up. Deathstroke, the main antagonist, and I want to be able to say more about it, but the trailer didn't really give us a whole lot of, of wiggle room there. You kind of see and you're hopeful for how good it looks right? and how much potential there is. The props look great. The little Nightwing batarangs that they have look awesome. All the weaponry looks great. It looks very feature film-esque. So I'm definitely... I'm, I'm, we're waiting, guys. Come on. We can't <laughs> wait to see more. And I think that's kind of what you want to see. You want to see a character like Nightwing brought to life. You want to see characters that... You know, have these cult followings because every character, I don't care who it is, yeah. even if it's a char- character like Red Tornado from the DC Universe that I've always been, you know, a fan of, but never going to see the light of day in even a TV series, never mind a feature film. You know, if I had the cash, maybe I would do a Red Tornado fan film just because there's, it's that uniqueness that the fan films bring. There's audiences there and the Kickstarters 
that you mentioned, there's incentives there right. for people to donate. You know, you donate X amount of dollars and you get like a DVD copy or, when it's all done. Or if you donate like $1,000, you get producer credit. Yeah, and I mean, it makes you literally invested, not just because you're interested, but because you're actually financial. You could say, I was part of that. Yeah. And that jacks people up. That makes people want to, you know, dive in even further. I mean, I would take some of my hard-earned money for the right project and put it in there, you know? Well, plus the thing is, too, is it, you, you, listen, you talk to a lot of people. I talk to a lot of people who I know still from film school and stuff like that, and they're going more into the producing angle. They're mm-hmm. not really going into the front of the camera, early behind the camera stuff. They're going more producing mm-hmm. side. And it's kind of like this is a great way to get into your producing thing. You can look at something, look at a trailer. Of course, you can't really ask for a script. Right. But you can say, okay, let me look at this. And you watch a trailer or read a synopsis. like, okay, is this something I should invest in? And you learn about investing in films, mm-hmm. and you learn, you get a keener eye of what you should look for. Exactly. And, and, and so a lot of people, you can just say, you know, hey, comment section, hey, here's what you can maybe fix on this. You know, constructive criticism if you want to do it. And I think that that's the great thing about fan films too is that you can get that instant feedback from people that have not only invested in your movie, but that's the beauty part about things like YouTube and social media that has been the boom for these fan films where, I mean, think about, like I mentioned Kevin Smith. You imagine trying to do fan films and get them publicized and out there back in that time and the way you can do things now <laughs> with fan films and any kind of production aspect, it's it's unbelievable what they're able to do and get it out there. Now, I never would have found these fan films in a million years without Facebook, without YouTube. It just wouldn't be possible. So I think it's great that so many great filmmakers or wannabe filmmakers are getting that outlet to bring their stories to life. That's actually going to do it for this week's edition of Down and Nerdy. Hope you like the first annual Down and Nerdy Fan Film Festival. We'll probably do it again next year. It should be a cool yearly thing we should do. Absolutely. And we're going to put all these fan films up on our Facebook page. I'll find a way to share them on YouTube as well. To, to kind of put them on our YouTube channel that we just launched. Of course, it's facebook.com slash down and nerdy. Yep, and Twitter, down and nerdy 757. And of course, down and nerdy podcast at gmail.com. We always want to hear your fan questions because we want to do a fan forum main topic, yeah. which is just questions. your questions that you want answered. We don't care what it's about. If it's like, hey, Nick and James, why are you such douchebags and you don't like zombie stuff? We'll tell you. We'll go into detail if you want to know or if you just want to know what we think about certain characters or even stuff that we've talked about in the past if you want to hear more about it. Or, Nick, what was your favorite childhood memory growing up? Yeah, exactly. What do you like to do in your spare time? We could do anything you want to do, so send us your fan questions any way you can. And also, again, back on Twitter, at NickPataglia25, James. And I'm at James Ace with him, and you can find us pretty much anywhere on social media. On YouTube as well, Down Nerdy Podcast on YouTube. And of course, SoundCloud, if you if you don't want to listen through the web to these podcasts on SoundCloud, there's always a SoundCloud app that you can get at your favorite app store. That's a great way. Favorite us, connect with us. It'll actually tell you when new episodes are posted, so there's no surprises there if you miss it on our Facebook page. So we definitely recommend the SoundCloud app as yep, well. Yep, SoundCloud app. Uh, you know, it's, fr- it's free to download. The show's free to listen to. Very quick way. If you want, hey, have a few days off, you want a marathon, a few shows? Do that. You can download do that. them. You can, you can download, download them, them onto the SoundCloud app. You can download them onto your device, 
onto your computer, whatever you want to do. Even if you're driving a car, we have Bluetooth devices where you can play it through a stereo. So you drive down a stereo. I will admit, I've done that in my car where you go through the Bluetooth and get them in the stereo. You know, I crank it up, roll the windows down, force people to listen to the show. That's one way to do it. I mean, get your friends together in a, in a, in a dorm room, whatever. You can just, you don't have to listen to it by yourself. Get together with a bunch of, of your nerd friends and listen to the show and let us know what you think. Exactly. So that's going to do it again for this week's edition of Down Nerdy. Episode 12 is in the books. We'll see you next week, everybody, for episode number 13, the lucky episode 13. Oh, yes. And uh, we'll get more to that next week. For James Ace with him, I'm Nick Pataglia. Good night, everybody.